Welcome to a special Mentality Podcast series called Mate Therapy. Mate Therapy came about during lockdown when we were only allowed to meet up with one person for a walk outside. Right, Laffer? <laughs> I'd meet up with John Bell. And now, John isn't your typical type of mate. Yes, he is your bald-headed, tattooed-covered, Alan Partridge-loving type of guy. One that you'd definitely go for a beer with, but... On top of that, you know that I love to speak about my feelings. There's the added bonus that he is a therapist. For me, at that time, I was having to deal with a brain injury and the ever-looming knowledge that I was going to have to retire from professional sports at 27 years old. Many times, I'd meet with John and I'd feel heavy. I'd feel certain of my misery. I'd feel unconfident and I'd judge myself all the time. And at times I'd wonder, that question that we've all wondered at some point in our lives, why me? Chatting with John cleared up those thoughts and emotions that kept me stuck and unhappy. I'm lucky enough to have John Bell as a mate. The downside is that I can't have him as a counsellor, but you guys could. During this podcast series, we are inviting you into the types of mate therapy that I got with John during the pandemic. A lot of the times men think that therapy is opening a can of worms. This podcast series will show you that it isn't. And I hope that you guys benefit from feeling a weight lifted. And maybe you think, oh, it's not just me that feels like this or thinks like this. Or maybe you thrive off the deep conversations like us. As George Bernard Shaw said, those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. As always, these podcasts are for you. Listen, give us feedback, share with someone that you think would benefit. And if you believe in what we do at Mentality, rate the podcast because this helps us continue breaking the stigma on an even bigger scale. And without further ado, I bring you my old mucker, John Bell. Johnny, thank you for joining me again, my old mucker. I've got I've got some questions for you, mate. As always. Go on, as always. Love it. And uh, you know, as as uh, as my mind turns over many a time and as I'm going about my days, I always think of questions <laughs> for John. And uh this last six months I've been away. I've been away, I've been away travelling, I've been away just getting out of the normal environment, being in environments that I've never been in before, meeting people that I've never met before. But one thing that I've noticed over a good period of time is that I like to blame myself and I like to find a way to punish myself. And this is something which has been useful to some degree as a rugby player, you know, taking accountability and looking at the ways I could improve and, and never, I guess, stopping to be happy with my performance and always wanting to improve. But I look for ways to punish myself as well. I look for ways to blame myself over certain things. And this will come into my head injury, you know, this will come into me feeling bad. I look for ways, things that I'd done two days ago, three days before, and think I shouldn't have walked as long or I shouldn't have gone to this place which was loud you know all these different things come into my mind right and 
I look for a way to burrow into myself and blame myself and and, and beat myself up. And I, I I remember I remember a moment where I think you know what we're talking about and, and what we will talk about is accountability. And I think there's a spectrum of accountability. I think there's um, probably people that don't take account for themselves and they blame other people and they just go through life doing that. But then I also think that there's probably people that take too much blame and they blame themselves too much. You know, I think back about a story, you know, when I was 19 years old and I was in and out of the team at this point, I'd come back from a shoulder injury and I was, I, I wasn't, I wasn't big enough. I wasn't um, strong enough to play the game at that point. After the shoulder injury, I couldn't put size on, I couldn't wrestle, I couldn't compete, I couldn't challenge, I couldn't do all these things that I needed to do to be efficient playing. And I remember it was a game away against Warrington and I'd just done non-players training. So I'd done an absolute flogging. I'd done a weight session, which was very hard. We'd done conditioning. So like flipping tough physical fitness training and then we done weights and those weight sessions where you can hardly feel your arms anyway <laughs> i'm 18th man <laughs> i'm 18th man and i've gone on the coach and um I obviously not expecting to play and just going over and be an 18th man and do all that sort of stuff and then brett delaney dropped out and i got brought into the team and i'm like oh my god here we go here we go and i can remember nerves and stuff but I, the, the thing that i remember most is having a shocker and mm. feeling like I wasn't up to the task and not being up to, up to the task. Really. I can remember Chris Hill streaming through the defensive line and um, we had a nightmare. We, the team got hammered. I had a nightmare. And all that weekend, I'm going home, going home on the Friday night and I'm like, just like absolutely going over and over in my head and I'm like wondering about how this is going to pan out, like what's going to be said to me, you know, like I've done this fitness session, I've missed this tackle, I've, you know, all of these different things, right? And I remember having a conversation with Brian Mack um, over that weekend and he rings me up and he goes, so what do you think then? And I'm like, well, I mean, flipping, I did this weight session before and I, I did this training session before and you know, I probably were probably one hundred percent to play the game. And he's like, What do you mean? I'm like, Well, you know, probably fatigued and stuff like that. And he's like, Fatigued? What do you mean fatigued? <laughs> it's like why are you giving me all the excuses under the sun for why you didn't perform? Like why don't you feel like you could have just done a job? Why does a training session mean that you couldn't have done a job and made them tackles? And I'm like it's a big moment in my life. I'm thinking, well, I have just looked completely outside for the reasons for why I couldn't perform. And I took it upon myself to not have that as an excuse. And then I go on to have a career which I didn't really excuse myself and I didn't really let those come into my life, which has helped in a big way. But then I also think if you leave that, as David Brent would say, willy-nilly and... <laughs> you have that tactic in your mind, then 
I'm, I'm beating myself up for flipping walking too long. I'm beating myself up for putting myself in an environment to injure myself. And I had loads of injuries in my career. Obviously, I, I had so many injuries. I had so many moments where I just felt so down and looking for answers and for reasons for how I could get back fit and get back playing. And almost because I was injured, I felt invalid or I felt unworthy. You know, I felt like I wasn't good enough. So, yeah, I mean... Those and those times I'd toil with myself and I'd feel like there's this reason, there's that reason. And you know, for, for, so when anything goes bad, there'd be so much blame on myself. But I know that 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 reason I'm saying this, I know that it doesn't need the backdrop of having a coach want to get the best from you and having a coach that wants you to get the best from yourself. And of these conversations, you know, I, I know that it's a thing that we do. You know, we punish ourselves, men. We punish ourselves for even struggling. You know, we like look at ourselves like, why do we feel rubbish? I shouldn't feel like this, and beat yourself up for it, and feeling like you're not up to stuff. And you know, we have this standard. This almost we spoke a bit about it last week. This metric that we we measure ourselves to. We. We, we beat ourselves up and it's to what end, you know, like what what end do we do that to? It, it's when a good thing becomes a bad thing, isn't it? And accountability is good. It's an absolute good. Mm. But too much of a good thing is a problem. And when is accountability not accountability? When it's blame, when it's rescuing other people, when it's taking the bullet for other people's responsibility, when it's unbounded. And when it contains a complete lack of accountability, tangible metrics that you can go, oh, this is enough. I have done this. You know, we talk about reaching a standard. What does that standard look like? What are the performance indicators in that? And the last majority of time, it's not about reaching a standard. But that's the thing that we tell people. We say it's about reaching a standard. Actually, the, the inverse thing to look at there is it's actually about never being enough. Yeah, but never being enough, and this idea that regardless of what we do, what we—it's like being chased through the woods by a bear. And I've used this analogy quite a lot. Performance shame and excellence shame and imposter shame is very much like being chased through the woods by a bear. And what we're doing is we're throwing just enough of our competency and skill in front of that bear because we're worried at any point someone's going to find out we're going to be found failure. We're going to collapse and the bear is going to, the shame bear is going to bite us in the ass and hold on. And so rather than working to a standard, so often we're looking back at almost this bear or the tides, use, your, use whatever analogy you will. It's up to you, kids. You can, you can choose your, you can choose your foreboding. <laughs> yeah, you can choose your foreboding metaphor as you see fit. It can be a bear. It can be the sea. It can be scorpions. It can be something from Indiana Jones. It's up to you. Basically, something's coming to get us, and so we're running away and looking behind. You know, seldom if ever can we look forward, comfortable that we're enough. Uh, and the pressure within sport is absolutely ravenous. It is. I mean, one may rather mischievously suggests that at 18, 19 years old, as a physically developing human being who just done loads and loads of weights, would you be the ideal 18th man? Mm. If we're looking at accountability, we may have to look at accountability across, across the people involved in that piece. Yeah. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so absolutely. I should revisit that? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so the point is, is that 
maybe you shouldn't have even been on the coach if you've been flogged with an inch of your life. But mm. actually, sport is not a democracy. And actually, if you were willing to put yourself into being 18th man, you were willing to play. And if you're willing to play, there's a standard to reach. And it's okay for a coach to ask you to meet that standard. But yeah, at what point does accountability become shame? When it becomes unmeasurable, when it becomes exhausting, when it becomes tormenting, it goes beyond that. It doesn't, it goes beyond that point of, because to be accountable, we've got to be able to understand what, what we did wrong and how we're going to fix it. Once again, it's the Brené Brown thing of, you know, guilt is I did wrong, I'll fix it. Shame is I am wrong. I, I don't fix this, I make it worse. My my presence and essence makes this worse. Mm. It's not an energizer, it's not a it's not a driver, it's not a propellant for change and positive change. It's actually fucking hell. At any given time, I'm the one that's making the mistake here. And so we could call it extreme accountability. But at some point it drifts towards shame. Well, like being being the devil's advocate here, and, and this is my mind, literally speaking here. What do you say when you say to someone who is so stuck in that belief that they haven't met the standard or they are wrong in some in some way? It is it is a worthless effort to look at putting that metric in. You know, like it's almost it's like a resolve. If someone's got a resolve to still see see it like that, you know. Because, like, it, it, you know, in, in, in sport, in sport, you could, it's like the big question, it's like, are sports people out there, if they weren't driven by inadequacy or the fear that they're not enough, what are they driven by, you know? Oh, that's a <laughs> disgusting question. <laughs> so good, right. good luck. And, good abso- luck. and absolutely taps into my shame in my brief time in the professional game. It absolutely taps into my experience of that constant fucking hell I'm not enough this is not for me oh my god fear-based play so 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 the thing goes I talk a lot about vulnerable cultures and you know I believe that teams and cultures and organizations that create a vulnerable open culture that looks after the person the player takes care of themselves if you look after the person the, the player the reason why you brought someone in or the reason why you hired someone that performative aspect takes care of itself because it's safe to do so. Nothing ever watched behaves normally. Nothing ever squeezed behaves normally. Nothing ever manipulated works. Not what works normally. It, you'll get what you'll get some of what you want, but not consistently. And actually, what you'll end up with is burnout and a husk of a human at the end of it who goes, "I'm just glad to be away from it." But yeah, what what the what the players and this is where we, we talk about culture. This is where the culture has to be responsible for giving the players a sense of togetherness and a and a sense of drive and purpose and enjoyment that goes beyond the fact that fucking hell, the bear hasn't beaten me today. We've just won by a point. Fucking hell, the bear hasn't beat, beat me today. You know, uh, I've hit all my targets in the gym. I'm enough for a week. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting. And, and so in talking about that sort of extreme accountability, we have to talk about the innate shame around performance in elite sport and cultures and, you know, el- elite organizations and high performing businesses this idea that you know i i I meet clients and speak to clients who are emailing at you know 10 o'clock on a saturday night you know i had a conversation at the weekend with a friend who talked about the fact that should they send this email at 10 o'clock at night because something had gone wrong and i was like 
For whom? For whom? Who's that for? Is it to make you feel better? And they were like, well, that's just how we work. And it's that constant thing that there's no such thing as enough. We're constantly giving, constantly giving, constantly giving it. Which Charles Bukowski said, find what you love and let it kill you. And so many people find these jobs and careers and sports that they enjoy. And it just drains their life out of it. Yeah, it's not okay to be accountable. But there's got to be an enough metric. And that enough metric is I'm enough, that's enough, I've had enough. And it's okay to walk away from relationships, from jobs, from careers, from sport. Rugby kind of gave me up, but I, I was I agreed to the separation. It was enough. I was done. I was like, this is not, I'm not having fun. And I can see that you're not having fun either, rugby. I think we should go our separate ways. I think we should see other people. And 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 you know, it's the same in relationships, it's the same with jobs. Some situations were not designed to win because the culture does not provide a, a metric that goes beyond basically escaping shame. That's not accountability. That's 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 a shame spiral. Yeah. Fuck. It's it is, it is. It's like how do you put how do you put that measurement in? I know how we do it as a group and we talk about it all the time, the, the stuff that you talk about with vulnerable cultures and the stuff that I did at Rhinos in terms of talking about that and just going, what the fuck are we doing here? Who are we? Why are we playing? What do we want to flip in stand for? And what behaviours do we want to be known for? What values do we want to be known for? And alongside that, you, you are having these conversations, open conversations in front of everyone where you're airing out the stuff which everyone's thinking but not saying. That's, that, that is a, a touch further towards it. And when you feel the warmth of just simply being there and, and mm. simply being a part of it, which is just like beautiful because like you say, it, the stark reality of sport and business is performance. And I think there is a fear that almost if you are happy or almost if you are content in who you are that it's like well they're not going to fucking shit themselves to to do everything they can do you know what I mean it's like it it's the complacent yeah yeah like complacent yeah yeah and it's like yeah it's completely different things completely different things let me shame the shit out of you until you start performing again yeah, yeah, you fucking start shooting yourself again, mate. Honestly. Yeah, we need we need you wide-eyed and keen. We don't need you smiling and complacent. Exactly, exactly. And, and yeah. you know, driven by fear and shame as opposed to feeling like that warmth and that energy when you go in. And then when you take to the field, that flipping absolute resolve that you're going to do everything possible on that field and to play to who you truly are you know th those are those are different things and both get results I will say both get results and they both get results you're absolutely right so if you want to create a culture of fear and have that shame based environment within any sport within any culture within an organisation or within your life you'll probably get stuff done as an individual or as a team or as part of a team or as part of a culture you'll probably get stuff done so it's hard it's hard to see when something becomes, when a toxic shame or, or a toxic accountability is the driver because we're still performing, we're still getting stuff done. So you can have an accountability that is based on fear because people will put their hand up for all the different things they don't want to lose, for all the worries about, you know, getting, 
getting called out, getting shamed, getting exposed, getting, you know, dropped, getting fired, getting put on performance plans, you know, or, or you know, being rejected by our partner. The role will be accountable through fear. But there's a much more enriching, much more wealthier and healthier version, which has been tied to something that the dividends and the the kindnesses and the metrics and the kickback. Once again, we're only ever 50% of any relationship. We are only 50% of it. Be it be it a sexual relationship, be it attachment to a culture or a team, be it a job, be it a friendship. We're only 50% of it. And if they're in that reciprocity and we ain't getting something back, what are we accountable for? We're just sticking our chin out to be punched again. Trailer for Larry Holmes there. Trailer for Larry Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the build-up. That's the build-up. Um, but it, it but is yeah, true, man. I, I, you, you, you'll get results, but you'll also get burnout and you'll also get people, you know, I, you know, I, I worked in recruitment for a really short space of time. I don't know there's an industry and, you know, not all recruitment businesses are the same. I'll caveat that. It's got a real culture around it of just burning people out, taking them on this journey, this finite journey of just getting all their best stuff, getting all their gold and going, right, you're just not measuring up on the KPIs. But, you know, <laughs> at that point, they probably get about three hours sleep. and got nervous rashes all over their face. They're worried. They lost the relationship because they're working on weekends. And then you go, yeah, you're not meeting your standards. Bye. And, you know, so we become slave to our accountability just through the sense that we're not enough. Yeah. But like, so, so the, the, this person then, I'm, I'm coming out of the glue of it because I've had to speak out stuff that's going on in my mind. And what happens with me, mate, is I have these monopoly of thoughts and I have these ways that I've found to feel fear or to blame myself. Right. And it'll close me down. I'll feel like I've closed down. I'll feel like my voice isn't as, I'm not projecting my voice. I'm, I'm, I'm like, with, I've got within myself. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's what, that's what happened with me. And I feel like I'm beating myself up and I, the stuff that I value myself on doesn't hold any weight. You know, like and so yeah. the future, the future doesn't hold any weight or, future you know it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't doesn't interest me or and i go into this like like a childlike is it almost like childlike state where you feel quite maybe lose your confidence lose lose your adult lose your confidence lose your presence yeah Yeah. i think i think that's it yeah yeah it's it's like it's all it's i guess it's all child fears you know what i mean it's like all Mm like what a child would feel like and the as you say the adult that should be there fucks off and um goes traveling for six months and he, <laughs> <laughs> you know and then and then because i have uh, the passport you have yeah, the fear <laughs> yeah i'm like where, where's this where's this fucker going I'm like <laughs> i need some sort of guidance um and this child is probably that child who was in the back of the car after I'd missed some tackles and not scored a try. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and it's yeah. like looking, I'm looking for a way to, and, it's, and the thing is, it's self-generated. Like, 
I look back at my childhood and my mum and dad, like, I'm really lucky that they just, they supported me, you know, they supported yeah. me and, and they t- took me around to play these games and stuff like that. And I think I just ended up making a real high bar. I don't know, maybe a high bar. Yeah. And, it looked to reward yeah. our parents and I went through that. My old man used to turn up at every game regardless of where it were at. And you know, my rugby career very subconsciously belonged to him too, not that he ever wanted ownership of it. But when we have good upbringings, if we're fortunate to have that, and I, I, I certainly felt like my career belonged to him and I wanted to do well to reward him for all his efforts. Mm. And so when I didn't, all his circumstances were out of my hand. Out of my hands, I felt like I mean to turn and say sorry to him. Sorry, I wasn't enough. Yeah, which yeah. would have broken his fucking heart, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But wonder, you know, it's everyone else. We are pleasing everyone else but ourselves when we're in that child stage. We just want to make everyone happy, and we want everyone to be okay, and we want everyone to be proud of us. I think I think it struck a chord a little bit that because I think even if you know you are setting out on that field to play a game you know even if like you said your, your old man might not give a give a shit you know about how you played or mm-hmm. whatever obviously he wants you to do well but it's not like you know you're you, you, I, I almost I did I treated games as if they were the be all and end all, you know, like it was it was the <laughs> thing. It was the end it was the end of the world if I didn't play well. And I guess within that it's it meant I thought it meant something more and more to other people, you know. Um so yeah, you know, that's unraveling that sort of makes me think, you know, that when I do feel like I'm, I've gone into myself and withdrawn, you know, and trying to blame myself for something or worry about something, you know, is, is it is it that that kid who's in the back of the car and he's like thinking, you know, who have I let down or, you know what I mean? We don't lose our kids. The thing is, you know, we, you know, we can be 30, 40, 50, 80. And the lessons we learn during our childhood and during our formative years, that stuff sticks to our bones, as I've said to you before. That stuff's important. That's a, that's a lesson. That's a lesson for life. We are learning very early. You know, I, I, to be fair, I've got a one-year-old. And absolutely, her eyes and ears are attuned to how she navigates through this world and who is there to help her. And as a consequence of the amount of help she receives and the feedback that she gets from the things that she does, what her worth is. So it's a nightmare growing up with a therapist as a father because I'm absolutely attuned to the idea that these are very, very important attachment years and every lesson that she has and how she, how she interprets things and negotiates things is so critical. So if she's had a big day or a difficult weekend and you've seen her in full flight, she's decided to be held. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, she goes, well, she's not here for a haircut in that kid. And so <laughs> it's so it's so important, those lessons that we learn, even way before we can, way before we are having a memory, like to, my daughter will have no memory of, of her first few years on earth, but her experiences will begin to be shaped at that point, right through up into our teen and adolescent years. We learn shame, we learn failure, we learn rejection, we learn pain, we learn isolation, worry, 
anxiety. We learn these things. And, and that's where it's at. And so when something later on in our adult life, my psychodynamic friends uh, within therapy, psychodynamic practitioners will talk about the child, the adult and the parent and who we are in connection. But, you know, when we are certain things and, and we never lose our child and the things that trigger us in adult life absolutely hark back to that moment when we first learned. I, I can tell you any number of instances in primary school that shamed and rejected me in primary school. And I had a pretty bog standard <laughs> experience. Yeah. For some reason my brain decided to hang on to all the fucking annoying stuff. But I remember quite a few things. I went, no, oh, I probably learned shame there. Probably because like, I do what I do. But I went, yeah, yeah I probably learned shame there. I learned rejection there. I learned embarrassment there. Um, I learned loads of good stuff too. So this is not just a focus on just collecting shit. Mm. You know, I learned loads of good stuff too. But absolutely we go to child because the one thing that we that unifies all those experiences that we have grown up and our difficulties and challenges as we're developing is that sense of powerlessness. And one thing that happens with a child when, when, when something happens, they don't fight back. They don't have the capacity to do that. And so they don't, they don't argue, they don't go adult to adult with people. That don't fight from fight back from a point of equity and responsibility. We're often shamed, and when we're shamed, it reminds us of that powerlessness, and we adopt we adopt that absolutely. And I know that I know when I, when I'm shamed, I'll either fight back as a child, occasionally, or I'll go quiet as a child. Mm. I, I never ever in very very rarely in shame ever go. I see that you're trying to shame me there, and I think that's very disappointing. Actually, yeah, it triggers my inner child and I go, oh, I feel really stupid now. Yeah. Or I'll go away and say, I really should have said that. Or I'll go, well, I'll, I'll say something unpleasant because the natural thing to do is when we're shamed is to come out fighting and arguing, none of which helps. But seldom, if ever, do we respond in an adult way because we're not an adult when we have those experiences because that's not who we were when we learned them. No. So, so what what do you do then? How, how do how do you manage that? You know, like taking me for example. I mean, coming to therapy, what do I get to the bottom of that? What do I do? I find a way to manage it when it arises. Do you know what I mean? Like what? Acceptance is huge, and an understanding provenance and understanding the origins of why we do what we do is really important. There is a golden thread that runs through our life. We may have not always remembered the genesis of what, where things started. You know. Some people have had horrendous trauma, the nature of which absolutely is a guidepost to how their behaviour is afterwards. It doesn't make the work any easier because it's far more complex as a consequence of the extent of the trauma they've been through. But we have to understand things that are sometimes a little bit more subtle with a lot of inquiry and understanding that it is a problem at all. So a lot of people have sat quite subconsciously on difficult, often toxic relationships with parents. Maybe they're in a marriage that you know, just very gently drifted and then through their own sort of cognitive dissonance or wish for things to be okay, just goes, uh, okay, I, yeah, I, I don't know why I'm nervous or upset or angry, but I'm here and I want to sort it out. And then you'll ask about the marriage and it turns out the marriage is a problem. And the thing that they're not able to do is talk about it because they don't like confrontation. They grew up in a confrontational household bloody bloody blah so they've just pretended it's not happening because what did they do when they grow up when the parents were arguing yeah pretended it wasn't happening yeah. and so it's about understanding that their child is looking to escape and not deal with situations 
and that's been projected into the. And in, in, I've given you a just a made up situation there, but we have to project a lot of our early anxieties into the, into the future. Mm. We really do that, and it, so it's about understanding provenance. Why we do what we do now as a consequence of what we went through, and then running that and getting meaning from it. And then what does that do? Does that take energy away from these moments? Or is it like you've seen through it so that you can actually bring your adult into, into it, you know? Well, it's, it's a really good question. What does it do? And, you know, if we're talking about real complex and often quite terrible trauma, we're often get, we often get quite, we get quite laden down with the shame of it, with the blame of it. And, and you know, it doesn't. We, we can do that anyway. We've just talked about blame and shame just now. But you know, to, to use the example of a really profound trauma, the first thing to say to someone who's been through that is that it's not your fault. Neurologically speaking, a lot of our triggers and reminders and our in a child feeling helplessness, our going small, our re- retreating from certain situations, they're all safety mechanisms. We are quite a, we are quite a, you know, we've got an amazing brain. It's so complex, but a lot of our triggers and a lot of our ways in which we deal with things are really quite blunt instruments. So we do retreat. We do make ourselves smaller. We do go to child. We do have a lot of anxiety. We have a lot of sometimes depression, both of which are really, really blunt instruments of safety. They're horrible. They're there to make ourselves safe from social situations that are overwhelming and worrying. First thing to say to a lot of people is this is not your fault. Yeah. Well, to all clients, it's not your fault. Because if this, first of all, if it happened in childhood, we never blame the child. We never blame the child. And what you will get a lot of time in therapy is clients who have got a real disgust or disinterest or uh, even loathing for their former younger self because they should have done X, Y, and Z, or that wasn't good enough, or we never felt good enough, and we don't really know why. So what we're actually doing is that client is metaphorically almost bullying the child who, that's the last thing they want, the bullying their former self because they're so annoyed that they didn't do more. But we never blame a child. Children are always doing their best, even when results may vary. Currently as a parent, I'm telling myself that when my child is showing a variety of different behaviors, <laughs> she's just learning, she's a year old. She's doing hey, it's that. not your fault, mate. And it's not, and it's not your fault, daughter, and it's not my fault, forty-two-year-old therapist father. Yeah, <laughs> we're all fault. just, we're all just trying our best. We're all we're just trying our best. best. Yes, and me, me going wide-eyed and gritted teeth is absolutely helping the situation. But absolutely, you know, we, we one of the most amazing things that we've got a little bit off pace here, but it's still about this accountability and shame things. If you find yourself in a room with someone who's made it into adulthood so we can sit there and have them criticise their child, then miss the point of survival. Mm. If you're in the room with the ability to criticise that child who could, would or should, you miss the point that that child got through it because so many people don't. So many people are, are, are so led and down with that shame that they take extreme steps to get away from it. And, you know, we look at we look at adult suicide rates and we look at child suicide rates in this country, and it's you know they're shocking. A lot of young people, for for whatever reason, do not make it. 
And so if you find yourself in a situation where you're able to look back, understand that while ever the performance in retrospect that you were looking to uh, to have the levels of friendship, levels of connection, levels of success that you didn't have weren't there. You got through it. You made it through. You know, something that you and I have said to you, you know, I saw some of your, I, I had this moment the other day, actually, I'm not told you this, but I'll say it on a podcast in front of loads of people. I saw you're in your social media with the, with the Brooklyn Rugby League team. Mm. Yeah. And I just said this I'm moment. I'm going tonight. I'm going tonight. And you're going tonight. Yeah. I had this moment where I thought, if it wasn't for one of the toughest moments in my mate's life, he won't be going to going out with these guys in New York, in Brooklyn, coaching, working with new players, and absolutely engaging that other side of his ability, which is he's that learning and curiosity and pushing at boundaries. And I thought it's not my job to tell him that what happened to him is a gift for any stretch of the imagination. And I've been through with you through it enough to know that it's far from a gift, but it's about what you do with it. And there you are, you you and Nat have been able to sort of turn this thing around and go, right, then what we're gonna do what we're gonna do with our situation. It's not a gift, but how we're gonna turn it into that. And I saw that picture and went, Oh my god, what a beautiful sight, what an amazing place to go there and yeah. play rugby with. You know, while you could decide yourself whether you'd want your career back if you could have it. You wouldn't have been doing that. No. Man, I think I think it's so important, you know, with what what has happened with, with my retirement and what is caused, you know, causing the symptoms and, and causing just the roller coaster of the ups and downs, the blaming myself, the flipping, everything that it has caused. Like, one thing that is so important amongst all that is, you know, the people I have had to speak to about it, firstly, Nat has been like, just an absolute godsend, like she's probably saved my life on, on so many occasions, you know, like being able to speak to me when I am speaking in that sort of scared, child, worried self that I can go into, you know, and, and to be able to manage the situation, but also see what can come from it and maybe, like you say, maybe the gifts that can come from it and... and how possibly to go forward after it. That support is, it's imperative. It's imperative. And then I had yourself, which has been able to guide me through it, guide me through moments when I've rang you up and I've just said, look, this is how I'm feeling, feeling anxious to death. Um, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that. I'm just saying, what do you think? And then having a conversation with me on the other side of it where it's like, oh, I'm not a flipping nutter for thinking like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not mad for thinking about it. And just seeing that block that was in my mind just dissipate or get lower, you know, get that barrier to get lower in my mind. So it, that that 100% is the support that you have and the, and the people that will speak to you and, and show you the way forward. And I'm lucky to have been able to forge that, you know, over the last few years. Um and, and as you say, you know, going over to Brooklyn tonight and seeing those guys and showing my face, having a laugh, speaking about rugby, is going to be a dream. It's going to be, it's going to be good fun. I'm really excited for you. I think that's going to be cool. And yeah, it's pure Victor Frankel, isn't it? This and it's like you've got to take the meaning out of it. And this is where we talk about it. it's almost like punk or 
guerrilla gratitude. It's not, it's not Hallmark card gratitude. It's working on the fundamental gratitude that you have in your life for the stuff that's going on. It is it's saying a peaceful and honourable goodbye to things you, you, you don't do or you can't do or you stop doing. And it's been really grateful for the things. And, and we're really, really focusing on that gratitude. Not like I say, not, not, not going, yes, I am grateful for the sunshine. And yes, I am grateful for my, I'm grateful for my two feet and the shoes on them. That's, they're all no, no doubt things to be grateful for. But it's about going, you know what? Despite getting up this morning and being in a really bad mood, I haven't told anyone to fuck off. It's going, I got done all right today. I'm really grateful for my partner who has taken a, a week or two of my bad temper or passive aggression and she's not left me or he's not left me. Um, I need to really go and say how grateful I am and I need to make the change there. It's about being curious enough to push beyond, push beyond, you know, our misery and our yeah. upset and going, you know what? food in my belly and a license of my telly I'm alright here this is good yeah. I'm doing yeah. stuff you know you're out tonight you're in New York you know you've got good connections over there and friends and people who like love you and that and that's brilliant it's not the path you chose but given the circumstances when made available to you it's a path that you took some yeah. people just shrink and that's you know why I meet a lot of people who are just trying to cut things away out of their life in order to feel safe enough to continue and they're just breathing in and out they're not living You've got to keep living. And one thing I'm so proud of you of is that you guys, you kept living and thriving and you've been to New York twice now and this is going to start being difficult in our friendship because I've never been once. <laughs> so if, you go, if you go again, well, seriously, everything's going to continue this friendship. <laughs> mate, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Keep up with that curiosity, mate. And yeah, yeah. and I'm like, oh, bastards in bloody New York again. <laughs> but, like, it, it, but that's it if you think about that situation isn't it quite ironic you've been moments of sort of like blame and shame and being pissed off that things aren't the same and then there's guys looking at you going bloody hell going to New York again what an opportunity it isn't perspective interesting yeah I bet I bet there's some people that think I'm alright and not bad <laughs> and you know what you'll never know okay exactly who knows but I'm flipping I'm doing my best and that's that is down to curiosity that is 100% down to curiosity if I've not been curious enough with mentality to start it and ask questions about it when I had no flipping idea I don't know if I'd have been strong enough or curious enough to get past this last two years to be in a position where I can travel and keep asking questions and keep learning and keep the dream alive, whatever dream that is. You know, I don't know what flipping dream it is, but it, that's why it's exciting because things are new all the time, things are novel. And um, that's the power of it. That's the power of curiosity. And we probably don't speak about that enough in mental health and enough. Uh, I, I know that you're a big supporter of of that and talking about that yeah I, I talk about it all the time particularly with men and I think it's something that I posted something on Instagram the other day which was about it was the uh, Dunning-Kruger impact and it was it was a graph that showed that there was a correlation between a high confidence and low knowledge <laughs> and the, <laughs> in, in these times of political turmoil one may have misinterpreted my post as satire however it wasn't because it was about imposter syndrome. And, you know, this is, in, this is an inverse correlation. 
particularly around our investors, I'm waffling, but basically what there is, is the more we truly know, the more information that we've got on a subject, the more expertise we have, the more we move towards guru, the less likely we are to talk about it. We actually retreat. That is true imposter syndrome. And so our curiosity is good insofar as it gets us learning things. But when we get to a point where we go, look at this, jazz hands, wow, isn't it great? Shame gets us and says, who do you think you are? Whereas no fuck all, you're as confident as, as confident as can be because we, we, like to, we like to manufacture confidence. And in the midst of that, it's about jumping off. And on this graph, it's got a little hill called Mount Stupid. So when it goes right up to the top, the graph, right at the top, which is peak confidence, low knowledge, they call that Mount Stupid. And we've got to prepare to go down the valley of despair and start learning constantly because we can stay where we are, certain, pretending, with this falseness about ourselves, or we can really, really, really push on and push on into uncertainty because that's where curiosity is. The likes of you, the likes of a lot of curious people, we're too busy getting on with our lives to stand there and grandstand about what we do or don't know because we're constantly pushing at dots. Mm. That takes some bravery. And I say we, and I say that with a lot of pride because I, I have, I've stood on my stupid on a couple of occasions in my life and gone, oh, I'll be all right here. I don't need to know. Mm. And... And we're doing nothing. We're just uh, like, <laughs> how, how long? How long can you you stay on the top of that hill? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> a scary amount. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's comfortable. Yeah. It's comfortable for a day, isn't it? Some some guys some make a profession out of it. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a tweet the other day. <laughs> That's, I need to yeah need to uh, back up that point. Some people do get elected on that. And they flipping keep going back to try and get elected again on that <laughs> fucking hill. Fuck. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It is. Stupid. The person on the mountain or the people who join them? Who is the true stupid? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That's it, mate. That's 100% it. You know, you can have evil people, but you need a whole lot of stupid people for those evil people to um, put anything into practice. Um, Too right. But, yeah, on the, on the end of that, that, there's a tweet that I saw and someone said, Someone with half your IQ is making double the salary that you are because they aren't smart enough to doubt themselves. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, flipping heck. Why do I doubt myself? Just stop doubting it, mate. You'll have everything sorted. Well, yeah, it's another. It's that other Charles Bukowski quote that I've said before. The problem with the world is that all the all the smart people are full of doubt and all the stupid people That's are certain. Yeah, and then you're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, ignorance truly is less fun. That's it. That's <laughs> it. But once you know you're not ignorant, you've got to keep flipping, rolling on, aren't you? That's right, yeah. And that's when we start feeling like an imposter because it turns out we might know a bit thing or two. True. <laughs> good way to end good way to, to end the second episode, of my mate. Um Cheers, good mate. chat. I've uh, I felt I felt a warm embrace. The, the the inner child has felt a warm embrace today and it's not gonna it's not going to be himself. Yeah. Um, and when they show yeah. up, look after him. Uh, They'll yeah. be doing their better. <laughs> yeah. Too right. Too right. Cheers, my son. Cheers, mate.